Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. There's no way an online experience creates a deeper, more meaningful, impactful relationship than in person. There's just no way. In person is the way to go. You're at 100% right. I don't know if this is your first meetup or if you've been doing this a while, but if you're not getting the engagement you want or you're not getting the attendance, I say just be patient. Stick with it. Maybe be a little bit more aggressive about your marketing or how you're getting in front of people to let them know that you're having this event. I would work harder on getting people to a live event then I would be willing to switch it to a virtual event. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it very, very much. This is another one of my live Q&A replays. On this particular one, I was not live. I was out of town, actually, so I had to pre-record it. And uh, But we had some great questions from the week before, actually. The week before, uh, if you guys remember, if you were listening to that last live that we played last Thursday, uh, it was super long. It was like an hour. We normally go half an hour. It's because we just had a lot of live engagement, a lot of great questions, and we kept going and going. And I didn't get to some of the questions that I was planning on getting to in that live. And so... I did those questions uh, this week. And so you can hear those questions. Uh, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about meeting up, uh, I'm sorry, hosting a meetup in a city uh, and you're not getting great engagement. Should I go virtual? Should I stay live? Like, what do I do with these if I want to have a meetup in my town? Uh, I answered that one. We talked about a house with a pool. Does it make a good rental or not? Should you have a pool at your rental? If you have a rental or you're going to buy a rental, in this case, inherit one that has a pool, what do you do? What are the obligations here? What what's what could happen? What could go wrong? What does it cost? Like, what are the thought processes behind that pool situation at a rental? And then uh, uh, raising rents was another question. Buying a house with tenants, in this case a duplex, fully tenanted, everyone's month to month, they're paying less than market rent. What are your legal and ethical obligations there as the new landlord? What do you do with that property? Do you raise the rents? Can you raise the rents? What does that look like? And I answered that question. So uh, this is a fun one for you guys. I hope you get a lot out of it. And uh, I give you my latest live Q&A. 
Okay, welcome to another live Q&A. Guys, this isn't live today. I'm I'm actually pre-recording this. I am out of town tonight uh, on business. I'm traveling actually, uh, as, the, as this is airing, I'm actually traveling back. So uh, I'm on a plane right now as you're listening to this. If you're here live, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming here live. Uh, last week, we had such a great live interaction with the folks that were here. And uh, if you're here again for more of that, I am so grateful to you, uh, but I'm not able to be here live on this one, but I wanted to record something because I didn't wanna leave you high and dry. I wanted to give you something that you could utilize in your business, something that you could actually take with you and, and use, but I just couldn't be here live. And so I apologize for that. But I do have questions. Last week, like I said, there were so many uh, back and forth, um, really great conversations that I, I wasn't able to get to all the questions that I planned on getting to. And so, uh, I wanted to do that now, answer those questions that I wasn't able to answer last week and get those in and uh, give you something so that you're not just showing up and not getting anything. Didn't want to do that. I've committed to being here and I want to be here for you. Just couldn't be here live. So um, before I do that, though, guys, right now, we are in a weird time of the market. I know so many investors, people that I really respect and I really I know they have great businesses and I know they're brilliant at what they do. Really, really good. And they're struggling because. Uh, we're in a weird market and and there's a lot that is happening right now. And it's very hard to get through a market like this where we kind of have this um, friend of mine, Andy McFarland, calls it the gap. OK, where you're going from one market condition to another different market condition, the, the transition, right, the travel time between there can be volatile. And a lot of people find themselves a little bit of trouble with um, with flips and things like that. And so. It's really hard to get through that sometimes without help. And so one of the things that will help you get through any market, one of the things that will sort of help cure all that ails you, so to speak, when you're in business is leads. You need leads in your business. If you're using direct mail and not getting the kind of leads that you want to get, then I have a solution for you. Uh, if, if you are like, whether you're using direct mail or not, I think there's a a, a a way of looking at it where you want to get better. And if you're not doing it, then you should be doing it. And I've created a course called Winning Direct Mail. If you go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, it's up on the screen. You can grab my free direct mail course. I created this course to show you how I do direct mail from start to finish. And it's all in there and I'm not charging for it right now. I've said for the last few weeks, I may start charging for it. If you get it now free, if I start charging for it in the future, you never have to pay. You've got lifetime access to this course. And so I highly suggest you grab it. Even if you don't know if you wanna use it right now, grab it while it's free. Because when I do change it to a paid course, and I probably will do that, then you will have to pay from that point forward. So grab it while it's free. It, it's free forever for you. You'll have it access forever. Um, go and grab that. Also, there may be a time where I just simply take that down off of my site and I create something else that I'm passionate about that I want to offer to you in real estate and you may not have access to it at all, free or otherwise. So go and grab it. Just just grab it and so you have it. And then you can use it or not. Totally up to you. Maybe you want to use it down the road. Maybe next year you want to start doing direct mail, but you're not ready right now. Grab it before it's either gone or I start charging for it. One of those two things will likely happen, very likely. <clears throat> so go and grab it. Okay. And that's again, if you go to mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, you can also just go to winning 
directmail.com and you can grab it there. So either way, it's free for you. All right, let's dive into the questions. Uh, these are the questions I actually had up on the board last week, but so much interaction live with you guys. It was so awesome, so much fun. Uh, we went really, really long last week, like it went an hour. Normally we're done after 30 minutes, um, but I had questions that I just didn't get to. So I'm gonna get those today. This may be a little bit of a shorter, um, a shorter session, but that's okay. We'll get through some stuff and it should be should be really fun actually. All right, first question. I'm hosting a meetup in my city and the turnout has been very low. Do people prefer to meet online simply because of convenience? I would rather an in-person meetup uh, to build deeper relationships. Okay, uh, yes, I think for me, if I was if I was going to try to go to some sort of a meetup, it is certainly more convenient to do it online. No doubt about it. If I can just log into Zoom or whatever and and attend without having to get my shoes on, my coat on, go get in my car, drive for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is. If I could avoid all that, it's so much more convenient. But here's the problem. I've hosted a lot of live virtual events. And what you get is a lot of people with their cameras off. A lot of people who are eating dinner, a lot of people who are driving, people who are multitasking, doing work with you in the background, they're not really listening. And so you have to ask yourself, would you rather have 10 people in person or 30 people who are multitasking, eating dinner, driving, not really engaged, camera off? I would really rather meet with 10 people in person personally. I think your instincts are right. You wanna build deeper relationships with people you need to do it in person. That's just, there's no way an online experience creates a deeper, more meaningful, impactful relationship than in person. There's just no way. In person is the way to go. You're at 100% right. I don't know if this is your first meetup or if you've been doing this a while, but if you're not getting the engagement you want or you're not getting the attendance, I say just be patient, stick with it. Maybe be a little bit more aggressive about your marketing or how you're getting in front of people to let them know that you're having this um, event. I don't know what you're doing for that, but I would work harder on getting people to a live event than I would uh, be willing to switch it to a virtual event. I just have seen it too many times with virtual events. People do not um, engage. The camera's off, like I said, they're multitasking. Like I sometimes turn um, like YouTube on in the background when I'm working. And I can tell you, I can't work and truly listen to and absorb what's happening on YouTube. And most people really can't multitask. I don't think anybody can really multitask truly like that. Like they they think they can, but they're not really 100% engaged in either activity. So I don't think the online way is the way to go. I think your instincts are 100% right. You wanna create that deeper engagement than going on uh, in person. I'm sorry, going in person is the way to go. You just might have to give it more time get in front of more people, maybe spend a little bit more energy marketing it so that people know about it. But I would give it more time and stay in person. I think your instincts are 100% right there. <clears throat> Let's go to the next question. Uh, I inherited a house with a pool and would like to hold it for a rental, but the pool maintenance may be cost prohibitive. Uh, maybe sell it and find an easier to maintain property. That's the question. They're asking me if they should sell it and find an easier to maintain property. Um, yeah, I, you know, I had a pool at my house, my personal residence for about 13 years until I moved. And while I liked having a pool, a lot of times, there was also a lot of times I did not like having a pool. And the maintenance is one thing. The maintenance is 
the cost, in my experience, the cost wasn't so enormous. It was way more an investment of time and energy to keep the pool properly maintained. That being said, pool mechanicals, heaters and chlorinators and whatever, they break down and they have to be replaced from time to time. So that is a cost for sure. There is some cost to maintaining a pool. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there isn't a cost. I just found the time commitment was more of a problem than, than even the cost. But I think when it comes to a rental, <clears throat> even beyond that, there's a liability issue. You rent to somebody and there's an accident and somebody drowns. Somebody's not watching their kid. Somebody, you know, maybe your renters are having a, a little party with alcohol and, you know, somebody drowns or something terrible. Ha like, that's what I would worry about as a landlord with a house with a pool. I'm sure there are plenty of rental properties out there in the world with pools. I don't know that I would choose to do that because if the maintenance doesn't grind you into dust, having to make sure that the chemicals are balanced and the pool um, mechanicals are being maintained and, you know, nobody's putting weird stuff in the filter and, you know, all the things that you have to do when you have a pool. If that doesn't get to you, then just the the day to day worrying about the liability of somebody drowning or something terrible happening in the pool, like I wouldn't want that. Uh, and I don't necessarily love running and hiding from things, but in this case, I would probably sell the house and buy one that has not doesn't have a pool. Now, the other alternative is there are companies out there that will fill in a pool. They will bring in dirt. I mean, you have to pay for it. Obviously, it's a cost, but they you can pay someone to bring in dirt and fill in the pool and just make it a lawn. Like just you just eliminate the pool altogether. That's an option too. I don't think it's incredibly expensive to do that. I don't know what the cost is, but it's essentially just the cost of the dirt, right? Just getting it un unloaded. You could do that. Um, if it's a perfectly fine pool, it seems like a shame. You could probably sell the house and make a little more because it has a pool. You'll alienate some people. I, I When I sold my house, there were people who loved my house, but they said they just weren't willing to deal with a pool. And so they passed because they didn't want the pool. So you will alienate a chunk of people when you sell a house with a pool. But the person who bought it was really excited that there was a pool. And that was a big draw for them. So you'll kind of like alienate a portion of the market. A portion of the market will be neutral and a portion of the market will pay you more because you have a pool. So, and it only takes one person to, to buy the house, right? So I think selling it, leaving the pool alone, making sure it's working properly, selling it and finding a property to rent that doesn't have a pool is probably the smart way to go. And that's the advice I would give you. I'm sure other people would disagree. You can charge more rent when that has a pool. Probably I would imagine that a, a house with a pool would get a higher rent. I wouldn't, Again, I would take the maintenance off the table for a minute and say, hey, that is a pain in the butt. But, you know, if you charge enough rent, you could pay for someone to come out once a week and just sort of like get the chemicals right and skim it and whatever they have to do. Like, I don't know, whatever you want to pay someone to do. But to me, the ticking time bomb liability of someone drowning in that pool would make it not worth it for me. I wouldn't want to take that risk personally. I don't think it's worth it. <clears throat> so I'd sell it and get a different house. That's just my two cents. People may disagree. That's totally fine. All right, next question. I am buying my first tenant-occupied duplex and both units are renting month to month under under current market value. So buying a duplex, it has renters already. Both, both sides are rented. 
but they're paying less than market value. What are my legal and ethical obligations for taking these tenants on and getting the rents current? Okay, it's a great question. I've dealt with this before. Um, legally, if they're month to month, that means they don't have a lease um, that is, that it, their lease was up, right? They probably had a year lease at some point and their lease expired. And so leases just go month to month once they expire. You know, they're once the first of the month starts, the lease is good through the end of the month. And then it automatically renews at the end of the month when you go into the next month, which means <clears throat> you buy that property, you are legally 100% okay to tell the tenants at the end of this month, I'm going to have you sign a lease, a long-term lease, and the rents are going to go up to current market value. So maybe they're paying 500 now. Current market value is 1000 You tell them, Mr. and Mrs. Renter, uh, I just bought this house. Your month to month, your lease ends at the end of the month. We're going to sign a longer-term lease, like a year lease, but I'm raising your rents to $1,000 because that's fair market value, right? And so th there's nothing legally wrong with that. That's 100% within your rights to do. Now, then it goes to ethical. What are your ethical obligations? Um, I think that you would get different answers from different people. I am of the opinion that you are under no ethical obligation to continue to charge under market rent or market, you know, the value of that property on the open market, the rent. You are under no legal or ethical obligations to leave their rent lower than it should be. I think if you have a business, I think you have a ethical and moral obligation to yourself, to your business, to your family, to anybody else who's involved with this, coworkers, whatever, people that you employ, you have a, an e a, a ethical obligation to charge whatever that house should be charging according to the current market conditions. That's, that's my two cents. It's not immoral or unethical to raise the rent of a tenant unless unless you gave them your word or you put something in writing that you said you will not raise it at some point, right? So let's just say, for example, you buy the house, they're paying $500 in rent per month. Current like market value for that house for rent is 1,000. And you say, Mr. And Mrs. Renter, you are paying $500 a month. $1,000 is fair market value rent for this house. However, I'm going to let you stay here paying $500, your current rent. I'm going to let you stay here paying that lower amount for the next 12 months. And then two months later, you come back and say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to raise your rent to a thousand, right? That is unethical. It's immoral. It's unethical. Whether you wrote it down and signed an agreement, which would make it legally wrong, obviously. But even if you just gave them your word and said, I'm going to I'm going to leave your low rent low at $500, I'm going to leave it there for a, for 12 months. And you come back in two months and say you're going to raise it. That's unethical. You are you're a bad person, right? You went back on your word. You gave them your word and, and then you went back on it. That's unethical. But for you to come in as a new owner and say, Mr. And Mrs. Renter, I just bought the house. You're paying $500 a month. Fair market value is a thousand. I'm going to raise your rent to a thousand at the end of the month. There's nothing legally wrong with that. And in my opinion, nothing ethically wrong with that. Now, if you want to just be a really good person and and have a total clear conscience, right? Not feel bad at all. Like, what if it's like 
Right now, it's November 22nd as I record this. If it's November 22nd, you say, Mr. and Mrs. Renter, you're paying $500 a month. I'm going to raise your rent to $1,000 a month at the end of the month. You're giving them exactly eight or nine days to figure out how they're going to pay double the rent. And if they want to move, they don't really have time to find a place. Like you're making them scramble, right? So if you say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Renter, it's November 22nd, I'm going to raise your rent to $1,000 on January 1st. Now you're giving them over a month to figure it out. I think that that's probably a nice thing to do, but it's you're not obligated to do that. But I think that's the, that's probably a nice thing to do. I think a lot of people would agree that's probably the right thing to do, but it's not it's not legally necessary. And I don't even really think it's ethically necessary because ethics and niceness are not the exact same thing, right? ethical things are nice, but just because you do something that's ethical, it doesn't always mean it will be nice 100% of the time. Ethically, you can change that rent. Eh, feels a little bit unfair or eh, not unfair. That's the wrong word. It feels like it's not very nice. And so giving them to the end of the years is nice, but it's not required. So um, I'm of the, I'm definitely of the camp that you should charge for your properties as a landlord whatever the market will bear. And so if fair market rents are $1,000 and you have it, let's just say it's not tenanted for a minute. You have a house, it's empty, you wanna rent it, fair market rents $1,000 and you you put it out to the market for $4,000, right? That's significantly over market value. If someone comes along and says, I'm happy to pay $4,000 for this house, there's nothing immoral or unethical about that. It's somebody's willing to pay it. That's what the market will bear. That's what you should charge. However, if you put it out there for $4,000 and no one is willing to pay that, you have to lower it or not rent it, right? The market has the right. People have the right to tell you that's too much. I'm not willing to pay it. And that's fine. They don't have to pay it, right? So you either lower it or you don't rent it. Let's say you lower it to $2,000. Fair market value is 1000 you initially put it out there for 4,000. Everyone told you you're nuts. You lower it to 2,000 and you find someone who comes along and says, yes, I will pay you $2,000. I, I like that that uh, rent amount. That's fine for me. Is that in, unethical? No, it's certainly not unethical. You are obligated morally and ethically, I believe, to maximize the revenue on your investments, right? You just are. How would you feel if you invested in Apple? And Apple came out to all of their investors and said, hey, we could have made a billion dollars this quarter, um, but we chose to only make 500 million because eh, we felt mean making a billion. We felt mean charging $800 or $1,000 for a new iPhone. So we just lowered the price. Now, that may be nice, but as a stockholder, they have an ethical and moral obligation to you to maximize the value and the revenue of that investment. Your little rental property is no different in my mind. You need to maximize that. If the fair market rents are a thousand and you're able to find someone who's happy to pay 2000 and they pay that, then, then good on you. You're maximizing that investment. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Now, if you know, there's always, if you, you could find a scenario where that could be unethical, right? It's a little old lady. She has no family. Uh, she doesn't have a clue of any way to figure out what market rent should be. No one's able to help her. She has no friends, no family, no nothing. 
and she asks you if it's fair market value and you tell her it is and you overcharge her. That's unethical, obviously. Right. But let's not look for the outlier right now. Right. That in general, charging fair market value or more is not unethical at all. It's you're maximizing the value of that investment. That's fine. As long as you're not lying or deceiving anybody or breaking your word or going back on a contract, any of those things, obviously, obviously that's all unethical and or illegal. You cannot do that. But if fair market value is a thousand dollars and you have a renter that's paying less than that and they're month to month, like in this scenario, and you come to them and say, I am the new owner. I would like to sign a long-term lease if you want to stay here. And I'm going to raise your rent to whatever fair market value is. You can either choose to leave or you can choose to pay that. It's totally up to you. That is a perfectly legally acceptable thing to do. And it's a perfectly acceptable, acceptable ethical thing to do, in my opinion. And I think in most people's opinion, I don't think I'm outside of the norm on this. I think most people would say, of course, you can raise your rents to fair market value. That's what happens when people buy multifamily. That's how they, and that's how, why involve, that, that is a big chunk of how multifamily works, right? You find an apartment building, there's a hundred units, everyone's paying $500. 650 is the market rent. Like that's the fair market rent. The person buys the apartment complex, comes in, raises everybody's rent. Nobody bats an eye at that, right? It's just how business is done in the multifamily. It's done all the time. No one questions it. Why would you question it on a house, on a single family? Same thing. You're coming in and charging. Now, I went from 500 to 1,000 in my example. Probably it's not that dramatic, right? Whatever the rent is, it's probably a lot closer than that. So raising it is not necessarily doubling it probably in this case. It's just raising it to fair market value. So please do raise it to fair market value because you bought that as an investment. Treat it as an investment. But again, that doesn't preclude you from being a kind reasonable, compassionate human being. And maybe that means you don't raise it at the end of the month, you raise it a month and a half later, right? You give them 30, 60 days to figure it out and figure out if they want to stay with the increased rent or move or whatever they want to do. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. Like, be a, by all means, please be a good person. But don't feel like you are unethical or doing anything illegal by raising the rents to fair market value as long as it's a rent a month to month lease situation. If they're in a long-term lease, you have to ride that out. You have to honor the lease when you buy the property. That's that's legal, right? But if they're month to month, you can do what you want there and it's not unethical. Don't don't let yourself go down that road. Okay, guys. That's it for this week. Again, go grab my course, guys, winningdirectmail.com. You can go straight to there if you want to. Go grab it before I charge for it or uh, just take it down. So, and that's going to happen. One of those two things are going to happen sooner than later. So, uh, go and grab it. That way you'll have it for life. Guys, I appreciate you being here. I'm sorry that I wasn't live. I will be back live with you next week. Uh, until then, I hope everyone has a good Thanksgiving. Uh, be safe driving, and I'll talk to you in a week. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.